Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hitzleday and the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, joining me this week is one of the great writers from ATQ, Badwater. How you doing? Uh, doing good. Uh, pinch hitting for our other writer, which is what all good teams do. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, because it, it was originally supposed to be slurms. This uh, that's true. But then uh, something came up on uh, at the last minute and we had to reschedule. So uh, I'm happy to talk to you because you have um, one of the more exciting articles that I think is going to appear uh, I- I- this month, which is uh, Oregon may have solved its pitching problem in the softball team uh, with an incoming transfer. Uh, you're going to be uh, writing her up on uh, for an article to be published on Saturday. Uh, why don't you give us the, a little sneak preview? Well, um, the pitcher is Morgan Scott. She's a, a pitcher of um, University of North Carolina, Greensboro, um, who has really been outstanding in the Southern Conference and in, in Southern Conference uh, action ever since she started uh, as a freshman in 2020. She had somewhat uh, more limited pitching in 2020, um, and that was probably because of the pandemic and they undoubtedly cut down their games. And, you know, 2020 is a lost season for most of the NCAA sports anyway. But she really in the 2021 season uh, came on board and pitched most of the season uh, for the past two seasons. She's basically been... Uh, Greenboro's ace. Um, 
she won the uh, pitcher of the year and the freshman player of the year honors in the 2021 season as she was kind of instrumental in, in uh, leading Greensboro to the Southern uh, championships and uh, into the NCAA tournament. Um, last year, we would have, um, those of us who have followed Duck softball would have seen her because we went to, the Ducks went to North Carolina uh, to play Greensboro. And how uh, the Ducks do in that game? It, that was, it was a tight game. Um, that was, uh, I believe, the longest game that we played last year in terms of innings. It went to 10 innings. Yeah. Because, because they were tied uh, four, four to four going into the ninth. And uh, up to that point, Scott had pitched six of nine shutout innings uh, against the Oregon Bats. Well, you know, asking a, a pitcher to pitch 10 innings in softball is, is a stretch. And, and uh, the Oregon Bats finally lit up Greensboro in the 10th inning, um, got eight unanswered runs, and that was uh, a little more than, um, than Greensboro could be expected to respond to. You know, because it was – great Oregon team. They had, they had great bats last year. Um, but the, uh, but her, her pitching is very good. Uh, last year, I believe her record was 25 and 12 with a, a 2.28 ERA. And uh, the thing about Morgan Scott is she throws a lot of strikes. She she knows where the strike zone is at, and will hit it. And she uh, showed last year against Oregon, um, you know, just how good a pitcher that she is. And I I think it's a fantastic get for Lombardi. It's just what Oregon needs. Yeah, I uh, I found a recording um, of that game and, and watched some of Scott. Uh, it was uh, yeah, she's really got control of her pitch. Like that's probably the number one thing I'm looking for in a, in a softball pitcher is just control. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, you know, especially given that, you know, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Oregon's you know bullpen right now looks like you know Hanson and Scott, and that's it. Yeah. Um, it, it is a, the, the others are, um, additions that we haven't really seen very much of or none of and, and are unproven. So, uh, the addition of, of Scott was on a scale of one to 10, that's about as 10 as you can get. Uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, I, do you think that Oregon is done in the transfer portal in terms of more pitchers? I mean, they, they need a bigger bullpen than this. Do you think that they can rely on, you know, taking a relative unknown out of what they've got, or do you think they need to get somebody else? Well, 
I, I think that even if they have an existing pitcher that that they're uh, you know pretty high on, um, they they need another pitcher. It would it'd be really nice to uh, get another uh, experienced pitcher uh, in that pitching room and that's the thing about scott she, she's thrown a lot of games and a lot of pitches and a lot of strikes and so um you know if we could uh, add another um you know minor conference if you will pitcher with that kind of resume that'd be fantastic do you suppose uh, it transfers over? You know, you know, it's it's going up a division. Like any reason to think that, like, oh, maybe this isn't going to work out in the bigs. Well, uh, I would have thought so had Scott not uh, pitched against Oregon last year, and uh, the Southern Conference uh, tends to go up against the the better conferences uh, quite a bit even during their regular season. So, you know, that's, it's something that Greensboro wasn't limited to, you know, just playing Oregon. Um, She was their ace uh, against a a number of good teams last year. And she's a solid pitcher. Well, we'll look forward to your article on Saturday. Uh, I'm sure you'll get into some more detail, um, uh, you know, about her uh, uh, history and some of those uh, some those other teams. I mean, it's it would probably be the number one thing that I'd be you know a little concerned about is just like you know how's this gonna you know translate. But uh, you know, experience is experience, and you know, uh, the, you know, it seems like just absolutely dynamite addition. I'll, I'll look forward to reading your article on Saturday. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll keep talking about transfers, but we'll switch sorts to football. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. Uh, we are coming off of uh, two articles that you've written running down all the transfers uh, coming into Oregon, both the offense and the defense. Um, there, uh, You got pretty deep on the offensive side. Uh, you got uh, a bunch of walk-ons in there, some of whom are actually pretty exciting. You might get some um, serious playing time. Um, and uh, boy, I can tell you from my preview series, there's a, a a lot of the dudes that you mentioned as transfer walk-ons to Oregon, you know, who are tr- just trying like, you know, they're chasing glory. I'm not trying to be pejorative. It's just like I, I want to go to a better school and show off what I got. And if I have to walk on to do it, then I'm willing to do that. Like, you know, first of all, good for you, dude. And second of all, I can tell you, there's a lot of programs in the Pac-12 to be throwing those dude scholarships who like need those guys. Um, yeah. You know, and it's a it's a nice sign of how um, full the cupboard was left for Dan Lanning uh, that that there are that many, you know, uh, scholarship caliber athletes who 
um, have elected to transfer into and walk on uh, for Oregon. Um, there are so many of them that we're, we're just, you know, not going to have time to discuss them. Uh, listener, you should uh, read Badwater's article. It's still up on Addicted to Quack. Uh, um, let's talk about some of these scholarship guys. Uh, you know, obviously the most notable is Bone Nix. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've written a little bit about him. You have too. Uh, what do you What do you think? You think he's, you know, deadlock for starter or, or what's your take on the guy? Well, uh, I do think he has um, he has pole position on the starting job, um, and I, I think I, I would respond to that by saying that what I hope we see this year uh, is a coaching staff that isn't dead set on using just Bonix. That when um, if if Bo Nix gets the starting position, uh, I would hope that they would uh, rotate in um, Thompson and, and Butterfield and give those guys uh, some experience. Well, I mean, because, he's publicly stated that he, you know, he wants, even though he has a bunch of eligibility remaining because he started playing as a true freshman in 2019 and 2020 didn't count. So like, I think mm-hmm. he still has like three to play two remaining. Yeah. Um, but he has said that, you know, he, this is going to be his last year playing college ball. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, um, you know, if nothing else than just some getting them some experience, like, um, and also, you know, I'm with you that if like, you know, uh, it's a full bullpen, you know, like Mm -hmm. if he's losing control of his pitch, you know, put in uh, the relief, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And um, there's no reason to have uh, that kind of talent in your backups, you know, doggedly on the side. Uh, And who knows? Uh, The starting position may be more up for grabs than we realize. Well, it so, provides a, but, you know, it's a nice floor, right? Like that's always the case mm-hmm. when you have like young studs and then a transfer older guy coming in. Is it like, okay, you know, the, the, the older guy, you know, gives you a floor and if he gets beat out by the stud, awesome. And if he doesn't, it's still fine. You know, like that, I, I, I've always thought this was a good position to be in like a bunch of other, there are a bunch of other positions in football where I'm like, boy, if you're relying on transfers to that position, there's something wrong with your pipeline. Like offensive line is the most notable of those, but like, mm-hmm quarterback i sort of feel like it's the other way around it's just like having a having a you know an older you know more experienced guy come in and then have to fight out uh, for the job with younger guys like i i am increasingly viewing that as like not just like healthy but like the norm like that seems to be something that most high level programs are doing you know what i mean right. yeah yeah and the the ducks have been fortunate the past few seasons three four seasons when it comes to quarterback injuries so i mean you just never know if your starting quarterback is going to be sidelined for however many games with an injury and if you if you have talented backups you know you can rest them properly uh the running backs um 
the portal giveth, the portal taketh away. Uh, uh, Travis Dye and Trey Benson transferred out. Um, but they got uh, a bunch of guys transferred in. A couple of, uh, as I mentioned, uh, transfers from other programs who walked on. Kiela Hwana, Hassan Ritter, and Bryson Cobbins. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the, the really interesting, uh, to me, uh, guys were Marquise Irving, who came from Minnesota, Um Interestingly enough, his offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford Jr., is now going to be the OC at Colorado, so he'll get to see his old uh, OC uh, at a game um, this year. And then Noah Whittington, who came in from uh, Western Kentucky, along with Oregon's new running backs coach, Carlos Lachlan. Um you know, Oregon returned uh, Bryce, Byron Cardwell and Sean Dollars. They got um, a four-star a true freshman, you know, Jordan James. So it's not like, you know, they had nobody in the running back room. And frankly, if they took zero transfers, I think this running back room would still be fine. It'd be a little thin, um, but it'd be fine. So, like, I, I sort of view these guys as, like, this is uh, depth. Um, this is, like, healthy competition. Um, but it's not, like... Oh my God! Light your hair on fire! Something's wrong with Oregon's running backs room. Uh, mm-hmm. What What do you think about that take? Well, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, certainly, the walk-ons um, are, you know, go in that um, uh, area of, you know, what's needed for depth, and they may um, they may or or may not contend with you know being in the top rotation um but they don't they don't really need to you know they'll have some time to prove themselves uh, i'm we saw what noah woodington did in the spring game mm-hmm. and um he performed well um of course you know given the limited number of run plays that Oregon did in the sure. spring game. That's that's hardly a barometer, and and I think I mentioned that in the article. But um, I'm really interested in seeing what what Irving will bring in the fall, because uh, uh, unlike the others, uh, this is a, a power five running back that's um, that has some. Um, respectable enough numbers in a power five conference. I I would say very, I mean, it's 5.3 yards per carry, which is above the threshold for like, that's good for a running back. And, and, you know, like I mentioned, you know, he's coming from Mike Sanford's system. That's a, that's a power run, like jumbo set. Like I'm not like I had to do Minnesota film study because they played Ohio State right before Oregon played Ohio State and they played Colorado a couple of games before Oregon played Colorado. So um, I wound up watching a good deal of, of Minnesota's film and like that's they're not trying to like break off enormous runs. That's not like Chip Kelly's run game. That's like, you know, old school Stanford's, you know, run game. Uh, n- not exactly. that. Never mind. The uh, it, it's a power run game. Um, I was about mm-hmm. to launch in some real football nerd stuff, but anyway, um, <laughs> it, it, they're five point three in that system is real good because that's a um, that that's a hammering a nail. You know, like that's a tap 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 kind of running system, not a you know not you know shooting off you know giant runs um, and then you know get back to passing. Um, 
so like, yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, I want to see it like, especially, you know, like he takes 133 carries in a power run game. You know, that he's like, that's a built dude, you know, like that dude's built for contact. Um, right. And he led, he led Minnesota in all purpose yards mm-hmm. with 966. So, right. He had you know, 73 he, yards, uh, receiving and then, uh, and then played on special teams as well. Yeah. And so, you know, he represents a, a pass threat out of the backfield. And, um, you know, who knows, he, he might be a return guy for us as well this coming season. I wound up doing some film study on Noah Whittington just because I wrote an article about Carlos Lachlan. And I know that I've talked about uh, Carlos Lachlan on this podcast before because I wrote that article and then whoever was on was asking me about it. But like it, the thing that was remarkable to me about Whittington was that um, was that like so Carlos Lachlan took over Western Kentucky's running back room. The the head coach remained, but he changed up the offensive coaching staff because um, he didn't like what he was seeing. Um, and uh, and so he inherited like uh, when 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 Lachlan uh, inherited Western Kentucky's running back room, it was a mess. There were two defensive players on it um, there. You know, there were guys who should have been getting carries who weren't getting carries. Um, and like he. You know, completely rearranged the room, uh, grabbed a couple of guys from like obscurity, uh, cleared out the defensive players. And and I was seeing like a four back rotation. Noah Whittington was the lead back in it. But the thing that was, you know, remarkable was that like all four backs were running the same way. Like they were, you know, like if I didn't know those were different guys and like had different numbers on their jerseys, I would think that they were the same person because like the way that they you know, the, the way they made their cuts, the way that they protect the ball, the way that they would go into contact, um, all of these things looked, you know, totally the same and going from a room that like was a total mess. And a lot of those guys hadn't played college football before. Um, I mean, they were football players. I mean, like they hadn't gotten any carries in, in, in college before, uh, to like all of these guys run identically, you know, it, it indicates to me that like Carlos Lachlan really makes a strong impression on his running backs and that, you know, the dude he approved of the most was knowing Whittington and surprise, surprise, Oregon got him. I, I actually have pretty high hopes um, um, for Whittington and, and like Byron Cardwell better look out for his job, you know, is what, you know, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people have him penciled in because like he looked real good, you know, last year he does have the highest yard per carry average of any of Oregon's running backs, um, you know, period, uh, both the new guys and the departing guys. He had 6.8 yards per carry last year, which like, that's a really good number. That's a really good number. Um, Travis mm-hmm. Dye only had 6.0. Uh, CJ Verdell only had 5.2. Um, so like, yeah, I feel like comfortable saying that Byron Carwell, you know, is probably in to use your term pull position, but like Irving Whittington could uh, you know, uh, it would not surprise me, not in the slightest, if this were a three or four man rotation and that if, if like Cardwell doesn't wind up having the greatest number of carries by the end of the year. Uh, that's sort of my take on the room. What do you think about that? Well, yeah. Uh, and um, like we were talking about with quarterbacks and quarterback depth, you, uh, maybe even more so with your running backs, you want that kind of depth and want to be able to rotate yeah it, it i would say that if oregon's rotating uh three and four backs uh, regularly this coming season then well, oregon is in a fantastic place with her 
running back room. Uh, Oregon took a, a number of wide receivers through the transfer portal. Um, again, you know, uh, one guy who's walking on uh, Malachi Russell. Um, uh, but the the two Power Five uh, transfers are Chase Coda from UCLA. Um, although that's sort of a returning home thing. That's an Oregon family right there. Um, and Caleb Chapman from Texas A and M. Uh, I, I figure the most Duck fans are, are somewhat familiar with Chase Coda. So why don't you tell me a little more about uh, Chapman? Well, uh, Chapman has uh, spent all his time as Texas A and M at Texas A and M, uh, and he was a four star uh, that performed really well when he was healthy. Uh, mm. The the bad the unfortunate thing for uh, Chapman is that in um, two of his four seasons at Texas A and M. Uh, they were cut short by season-ending injuries uh, early in the year. Um, when he's when he's healthy, uh, he can do really well. And as I said in my article, uh, it was his injury in the 2020 season that was, uh, I wouldn't say disappointing. I, I would say it was had to have been disappointing for him because uh, he was just off on a tear those first three games with with catches and yards and yards per catch and really showed what he could be doing. Um, uh, last year, he wasn't um, quite so uh, hot, but, you know, in terms of just the numbers – but it, you know it's hard to say uh you know i can't speak to how he was used or you know how he was recovering from his injuries and in that kind of thing uh, but he's he's a, a tall receiver he's six five yeah i mean and, can't, can't teach height i really like how much height oregon has added to its wide receiver room like all throughout the chip kelly era it was you know the 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 plucky 511 guys the like you know i i'm six foot two if i'm standing on my cleats on right out of bed with my hair combed um and like yeah man you know chase Cota is six four caleb chapman six five you know talk talk about the fresh you know Th- thornton six five brevard six four crocker and franklin are i think six three each you know like yeah some actual height mm-hmm. in the the outside receivers and i believe you know i, I saw you know uh, some photos from from you know from from practices like I think the Chapman's all of six, five. Like, I don't think that's a, a, um, you know, one of these football exaggerations where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, he's six, four and a quarter. And we rounded that up. Like, nah, man, like that, that guy might be closer to six, six. Like he's big. Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, even though he may find himself, uh, playing a bit of a role position, like the red zone, for example, they, they have enough other big threats that that um that's not necessarily a consideration but it's good to have all these uh top-notch receivers you know available to you know reach up and um, pluck sideline passes over cornerbacks on the sideline 
Well, yeah. what I the other thing that I like about Taken Height is that they had already taken height, right? Like all of the, you know, the the the, the trio of twenty twenty one recruits, the Franklin and Thornton and Brevard, who are all like six three or bigger, like. Hey, buddy, you don't get to automatically have the job just because you're tall, you know, right? Like Oregon's going to keep taking tall dudes, you know, isn't going to get two experienced ones out of the transfer portal. And, you know, like, you know, hey, hotshot, you know, you might be on the bench, you know, <laughs> like, let's see how tall you are when you're sitting down, you know, like the 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 iron sharpens irons where I'm going with this is that like, I like that there's competition. I like that people don't automatically win jobs just because of their physical dimensions and they actually got to earn it and play for it. Um, And like, yeah, man, I dig it. Like, I dig that they're, you know, it's looking like six maybe seven if you count casper the um the dude who reclassified from 2023 and will join in the fall um like legit dudes over six three who can catch the ball of whom you know like all of them have caught the ball except for casper of course in a college uniform before like yeah man i don't like i I actually you know i've been a duck fan for a while i don't think oregon's ever been in this position before like with no. this much size and talent in the outside no. wide receivers. I think this is like truly unique in the history of Oregon football, isn't it? Yep. And, and to really appreciate um, what the Ducks have um, built up in a wide receiver core, all we have to do is think about past seasons where a singular uh, six foot five wide receiver on an opposing team just chewed us up. Yep. So, yeah, now it's our turn. Uh, last offensive, I sort of put that in quotes, uh, a transfer that Oregon took as a kicker um, from Wazoo. Yes, Andrew Boyle. and Who's also uh, 6'3". He could play wide receiver in a pinch. Yeah. Yeah, another big guy. But he's he has a um, big leg. Um you know, I in the in the article I posted, I uh, threw on a Twitter feed of him doing a, a practice seventy-two yard field goal, which was just yeah, incredible. And it does it doesn't like barely make it either. That would have no. been good for some, <laughs> no. you know, like no, and and it had initial height to it too. It's not like he's line driving the thing. Yeah, it's just it, it's an incredible kick, and kind of re- remind me of Siegel warming up. Um, back in the day when, you know, he would regularly kick uh, 55, 60, 65 yard practice field goals. And we really haven't had uh, a place kicker quite like him since. So, and the boils on a, a full scholarship. And, you know, I can see that why the ducks would do that because it's really exciting to have that kind of uh, offensive potential in your pocket. You know, now you don't necessarily have to uh, automatically punt on a, you know, when you're at the opponent's 40 or 45 yard line. I tell you what, I also like taking them from wazoo, Uh, (laughs) you know, just like I looked I like taking Coda from, from UCLA. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. Uh, we'll te- keep talking about football, but we'll um, talk about some of the guys on the other side of the Columbia. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I uh, published my long-awaited uh, article on the Washington Huskies football team. Uh, I, I, as predicted, I got a few drive-by comments uh, telling me what a fool I am uh, and how I don't do my homework. That's, that's you know, my, my greatest flaw is I really don't do any research for these at all. <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, you know, Washington's... Um, I think Washington is going to be an interesting team earlier in the off season. I, I wrote up, I, you know, I, because I have to do this anyway, I, because I keep a, an entire, you know, packable player database. I, I calculated out what the average talent rating is for each team in the pack 12, you know, including all the guys that they, you know, are taking in as transfers and as freshmen and so forth, which like nobody else does. It's actually kind of weird. And like the two for two, four, seven releases and uh, a talent composite, but they use their diminishing returns formula i'm gonna like it's there's some nerdy math there it's not just a pure average i just do a pure average um and uh anyway um washington uh was the number three most talented team in the conference in 2020 uh and they are or in 2021 and they are still the number three most talented conference team in the conference in 2022 but they took like a huge you know step back and the only reason they stay number three is because the other like nine teams in the conference are just like don't recruit at all like it's oregon and usc and then big step back washington and then real big step back stanford ucla utah asu you know and then you're really getting to the dregs in the bottom half of the conference where it's like you're really starting to look like teams that recruit like the mountain west teams um so you know the nature of washington's talent fall off was just sort of astonishing like i i calculated out over like a two-year uh average um or you know just to just count the blue chips you know count the number of four and five stars in and four and five stars out of the program it's um I mean, it's just gobsmacking. They, it's a net loss of 13 blue chips over the last two seasons, the Jimmy Lake seasons, um, which is, I mean, it's crazy. Um, and, and, uh, I, it's seven, it's only seven blue chips in and 20 blue chips out. Um, and then there's four more who were like, they, they were, they were in and out within that two years, like, uh, like the, uh like they had a quarterback who was like that anyway um but yeah they they've it's their recruiting has really cooled off that you know and uh and it seems to still be you know pretty cold uh in 2023 like they're celebrating guys who would have Oregon fans panicking uh in the 2023 class and just like the exodus of blue chips out of Washington is just absolutely remarkable um and yet they still retain this like talent cushion over you know, over much of the conference, you know, like, and they face such a soft schedule next year. Like I, I, even though I think they're going to have real problems and they were like four and eight last year. Um, I still think they, they sort of easily skate to five conference wins just on the residual talent. Like, and I just spent all of that time talking about like the talent exodus of Washington, but there's still like such a baseline of talent that they put together, uh, over the Chris Peterson era. Um, 
that like that you know uh, yeah, you know. the, the Jimmy the Jimmy Lake era really hurt them in in terms of coaching. Uh, yeah, God, what a dumpster fire. Yeah, no, I mean, I was it was obviously awful, and I mean, I, like I'll pat myself on the back a bit. Like I was waving the red flag when he the 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 like the first several hires and fires that he made um, when he took over. Of uh, you know, in, in that 2020 off season, I was like, why are you firing the really good tight ends coach and replacing him with your drinking buddy? Or I don't know if he's a drinking buddy. That was just being colloquial. Uh, um, you know, like, why are you moving the one good defensive line coach to, li- you know, coach linebackers? Like, why did you retain this dude and this dude and this dude who are clearly incompetent? You know, uh, you know, why did you get this dude as your offensive court? Like, that's it's one of the dangers of, uh, you know, hiring a guy who who basically never made any connections before. It's like he didn't have a Rolodex. And so, like, the best he could find for offensive coordinator was John Donovan. Um, you know, I, that was a disaster. And like, everybody saw it coming. Um you know, uh, and, you know, as, as I say every week, you know, when we talk about other teams, we're really just talking about Oregon. Dan Lanning had a Rolodex, man. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Dan Lanning so, like, got to hire, you know, a pretty, you know, primo coaching staff, like, you know, not the sexiest names in the world. And so a lot of like other fan bases sort of snigger, like, oh, that guy can't coach. I've never heard of him before. And then I did my series and I was like, actually, this guy's pretty good. Um, But it, like Carlos Lachlan, for example, you know, was like, oh, look, they had to hire a guy who'd only had one year of coaching experience. Like I, I bet a bunch of Pac-12 teams would love to have Carlos Lachlan right about now, Um, you know, uh. Uh, I, I examining the Jimmy Lake experience made me all the more thankful that Dan Lanning a uh, had a Rolodex and was able to assemble a real coaching staff, not just a bunch of like, you know, hacks and cronies like Jimmy Lake did and, and holdovers from a, a dead ass staff. Um, and B that he didn't give himself the like, Oh, we're just going to need a little time on the field to demonstrate success before we really get recruiting rolling. You know, Dan Lanning goes and recruits, you know, five stars immediately, you know, like dude has never coached a game as a head coach and is pulling five stars. Like, you know, like he, you know, no excuses with that dude. And Jimmy Lake was like lots of excuses, you know, that, that was, yeah. And, and not five stars just on the defense because you were a, a defensive coordinator for mm-hmm. last season's championship team. No, we're we're talking offensive fire five stars. Yeah, um, that's impressive. Yeah, uh, you know everything. I you know I I. I, I I know that this is an Oregon site that is talking about Washington. And so, yes, we're going to throw some shade. Um, and I know that it may be a little annoying to, you know, the, the, that our catchphrase here is whenever we're talking about other teams, we're always talking about Oregon. But like, you know, with that, with those caveats said the differences in culture and roster composition and talent profile and willingness to play young players and not just sit back and let your, you know, senior Jags, uh, you know, uh, be your starters. Like the differences in culture and coaching and everything about Oregon and Washington are very, very different. And it's, you know, it throws into stark relief you know, what Oregon is doing, uh, that, you know, to study Washington, you know, it it was actually, you know, a fairly, uh, illuminating and enjoyable process, you know, even though I had to watch a bunch of purple, um, uh, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Oregon's got a three-man uh, quarterback race. Washington's got a three-man quarterback race. Uh, if any of Oregon's three quarterbacks were suddenly in Seattle, it wouldn't be a race. That dude would be the dude. You know, like, mm-hmm. Washington's got, like, uh, you know, oh, that guy's got one thing going for him, but he's also got this really serious knock on him. You know, like, the, all three of their passer ratings last year were absolutely terrible. Um, you know, they have a returning starter for two years and he probably doesn't have the job locked down. Like that's a problem. Um, you know, their running backs, you know, averaged their returning running backs averaged under 40 yards a carry last year. It is, you know, what did we just say about Byron Cardwell, right? That like, oh, Byron Cardwell better look out for his job because these other transfers who are coming in look real good. Byron Cardwell had 6.8 yards per carry. Like that's, it's a, you know, Oregon's returning running back had 6.8 yards per carry. It was a really good number. And it's like, I don't know, Byron, that might not be good enough to fend off the Western Kentucky kid. Like that's the like ruthlessness of competition in Oregon's running back room uh, or the Minnesota guy or the Hawaii guy or the, the D two guy. I forget where Cobbins is from, but I know it's D two. Uh, it's sort of like, that's the standard oh, or Sean dollars, right. Who like, who's coming off of an injury and you know, we don't know yet, but Sean dollars easily, right. Would you be shocked if Sean dollars won the job? No, no. I and would, like he was, he's highly recruited. And, um, more importantly, if you, uh, um, I think I read a, a tweet uh, from him the other day. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just totally, totally Oregon, totally on board Oregon. Mm. We we don't have to uh, worry about his commitment to the process or to uh, try to earn that starting job. And meanwhile. Our conversation with Gaby, Gaby Lucas of uh, UW Dog Pound, our, our sister site in the SB Nation network. We've been talking with Gaby for years. Um, I always enjoy those conversations. She's uh, maybe the only non-delusional Washington fan in existence. It's like, remar- what a remarkable find. Um, unicorn. That, uh, uh, total unicorn. Um, uh, almost the entirety of Gabby and uh, my conversation about UW's running back room, it was, are Davis and Newton, they're two returning running backs of the four-man rotation, are they are they salvageable? Like, are, are, you know, were there terrible numbers last year, a product of this and that, you know, the, the bad scheme and the bad offensive line? Uh, or do these guys actually kind of suck? Like, do you have any question about Oregon running back room, you know, any of them, not just all, not all of them, like we were talking about with Washington, but any of them in Oregon's running back room, like maybe they kind of suck. Like, is that a concern no. for you for Oregon's running backs? No, no, no. Where you no, need to like, a, it, it, like it I, I put like four bullet points in my article where I was breaking. It was talking about my film study. It was like, okay, I collected this stat and this stat and this stat and this stat, and I had to put it together. And you know, my net output is that I think these guys aren't total garbage. Maybe like, t- mm-hmm. you know, t- are you worried about that with Byron Cardwell <laughs> or Sean Dollars? You know, no. like that's like I could do this for every single unit, like I, for every single unit i could go down or where it's like the discrepancy you know between where these two teams are at is you know tight ends they you know uh washington lost k dotten who was their total ace in the hole right uh oregon loses and and they brought in his little brother uh who's who's probably gonna have to redshirt their 
you know, number one uh, tight end, uh, Devin Culp, probably can't catch the ball. Their number two is a walk on uh, who can't block. Uh, their number three is a project. Uh, there's another redshirt freshman who's also probably a project. D- would you describe Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matavau, and Spencer Webb uh, in, in those terms? Not at all. No. And that's not even getting to Cam McCormick, who's really good if he's healthy. Uh, I swear. I mean, the last time we saw him was in 2017, but I wrote a whole article about that guy back in 2020. He's really good if he's healthy. Uh, And Patrick Herbert is a four star and uh, some pretty good bloodlines, you know, with that dude, too, if he's healthy. Like, you know, like, again, I I wouldn't be able to paint that in glowing terms at all, even if I was intoxicated with Kool-Aid. Yeah, it's just like. You know, and I, I mean, I, I'm not joking, like every one of these units that I could go down and compare where Oregon's at and where Washington is at. It's like I there I mean, there's not a single unit for Washington that I would trade, you know, for Oregon's. Um, and like here, I'll, I'll skip a bunch of these uh, units and just go, go to the last one, which is defensive backs, which like that's the one room, right? Like o- over the last, you know, like better part of the last decade, if there was a room that you were going to swap, you know, uh, if you were offered the trade Oregon's for Washington's, the one room you would have taken was their defensive backs, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't want Washington's cornerbacks this year. Like, well, I'm not joking about this. Their two starters are pro- probably going to be walk-ons, and the guys behind them are four redshirt freshmen who haven't played. Um, uh, of whom I think another one is a walk-on, and they're all, and the other, you know, and I think there's another walk-on in there. Uh, and there's an unrated JUCO transfer, and you know, the scholarship guys are like mid three stars who've never played. It's like it's a complete just yawning void of you know talent and experience and like look those guys could turn out you know like i'm not saying that their fate is written in stone like we've all seen like guys come out of nowhere and and be good uh you know it's just this is a probabilities game it's almost certain that's not going to happen and so like washington's cornerbacks room is going to go from the best and most experienced in the conference with i'm not kidding about this two first round draft picks or one they're both first round caliber but only mcduffie was selected in the first round kyler gordon fell all the way to the second round um <laughs> yeah uh um they're going from the like the the best and most experienced cornerbacks room in the conference to the least and least talented least experienced and least talented um in the conference and like the cornerbacks room was the tent like that i can tell you like that's the tent pole for their defense and their defense is the 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 main it's a defense led program uh and it's like that that unit was the tent pole and 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 the tent pole just got kicked out. Like, it, you know, like, what do you think is going to happen to that tent? <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll be throwing shade on themselves. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> good job not mixing the metaphor. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I, you know, I was sort of for a minute there, I was sweating bullets about uh, Oregon's cornerbacks room. Um, but, you know, they, they, you know, because, because of the, the departures, right? Like, Mikhail Wright, you mm-hmm. know, left to try the NFL waters. Uh, DJ James uh, transferred to Auburn. Jalen Davies transferred to UCLA, um, where he will probably play right away. Because if there's a, a, a defensive backs room that's more of a dumpster fire than Washington's right now, it's UCLA's. So I will be publishing an article about them next week. That was a little sneak preview for everybody. But anyway, um, I was sort of sweating there. Um, but then Dan Lanning got to work, right? Like, uh, 
you know, got Christian Gonzalez out of the transfer portal, whom you have written about uh, in a previous article uh, with the defensive transfers uh, and, and got, you know, Jaleel and Jaleel, uh, you know, out of San Diego, um, you know, as the freshman. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, those guys plus Dante Manning, the five star from the 2020 class who was injured a little bit and uh, Avante Dickerson, who was a four star uh, true freshman last year. Um, you know, uh, Darren Barkins. There's also a, a walk on who's gotten some spring spring game time, you know, Dondrell Brooks for uh, for depth, you know, like, OK, so there's seven probably playable guys of whom uh, of whom, you know, five are, are former five, uh, four stars, uh, four or five stars like uh yeah okay you know we get some breathing room now yeah exactly there you know is this the deepest cornerback room in the pac-12 no there's a couple more that are deeper is this um you know this is a very talented and deep enough cornerbacks room um and and like i maybe would have wanted to trade it for like glory days washington's cornerbacks um I'm, I'm not trading it for Washington's quarterbacks now or cornerbacks now. Like it's just like, yeah. it's, it's scary. Um, yeah. um, I got a question for you. Yeah. Since the, the rest of us are not about to watch a purple spring game. Uh, mm. Can you tell us some of the, some of the positives and negatives that you, you thought, thought you kind of plucked from your viewing of it? Um, I, I think the biggest positive Oh, that's that's way too backhanded for me to lead off with. Um, I think here here's the real biggest positive. I, I think their wide receivers are in good shape, which is a remarkable thing to say um, because they it's been so much turmoil. Their 2019 was a straight up bad season for their wide receivers. Um, 2020 was weird. Of course, they only played four games. I sort of fast forward through that. Um, but then in 2020 and then going into the 2021 season, they had five dudes transferred out, including Puka Nakua, who is like clearly their most talented dude. Um, and uh and it was sort of like, oh, my God, this position's, you know, a disaster. But they sort of came out of all of that with, like, actually a very solid wide receiver core. They have two, you know, for real, legit, you know, receivers, Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze. Are they the greatest wide receivers in the universe? You know, probably not. But they're they're definitely playable. They, you know, it was definitely the scariest part of Washington's offense last year was it was how they leveraged themselves out of the, you know, that would probably should have been a loss to Arizona and a couple other teams. Um you know, uh, Taj Davis is an inside, uh, uh, sorry, he's not an inside guy. Um, Taj Davis looked good. The, the actual inside guy, uh, Giles Jackson, who's also a sweet man, uh, you know, looks good too. Um, uh, uh, Jalen Polk, who was the Texas tech transfer, um, looked good before he got injured. And I can tell you from having watched that spring game, I, I may have been the only one. It was like me and a dozen people in the stands. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, he looked real good, but then he was injured. But then in the spring game, like he looked back to healthy again. So that's like five returners who uh, all look, you know, pretty good. Plus they got, um, you know, uh, a junior Alexander back from Arizona state. He was a Washington guy who went to Arizona state, didn't play. Um, and I was back in Washington. He was a four star. Uh, I saw him in the spring game. He looked fine too. Um, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think their wide receiver core is actually pretty solid. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to have a quarterback who can throw to him, but like, yeah, you know, it's pretty good. Um, I think their defensive line uh, looks fine. I think they have one defensive tackle, uh, Tulu Latuli Angus Sanoa, who is like legit good. Um, and then I think they have, 
I'm not wild about the rest of the dudes, but they have enough depth that like they shouldn't have a problem with this, you know, defensive front. And like, unlike a couple other units where it's like, this might be a problem. I don't think they'll have a problem with defensive uh, uh, tackle. They have some like legit good dudes at defensive end um, as well. They don't have enough of them. Like it's like, I think they're only going to have like, frankly, four playable guys. And one of them is going to be a redshirt freshman. And one of them is not going to be their five star is my opinion. Um, But like, Okay, they have four, and I think those four will be pretty good. That's good news. Bad news, I think they only have four, and if like one guy gets hurt, that's potentially a big, you know, big problem. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of, and then okay, he, here was what I was going to say, um, but then decided it was too backhanded. But now it's time for the backhand. They, their uh, offensive line, they recruited a lot of really, really talented looking guys in the 2018, 2019 and 2020 seasons. I think eight different dudes who were four stars or it's like seven, four stars and one really high three star who's like basically a four star. Um, and but we we haven't seen any of them. Like they have been sticking with the like the seniors and retreads and guys who like have not been playing well. And I've been waving that flag for a long time. And you know what usually happens when you're a super talented dude who who is stuck and you have there's a bunch of guys with you um, who you you got to and they're stuck behind, you know, senior Jags. and you got to when it is finally going to be your turn, you got to compete against six other dudes who are also really talented and your same age. Like, you know what usually happens to guys like that? Uh, I would if I was one of those players, I would really have a difficult time uh, finding the motivation to uh, really outperform knowing that you've been burned before. I mean, I I would have a difficult time not just transferring because yeah. you know what? That's something else I can tell you from doing this project. Every single one of the teams or virtually every team that we talk to will hold out a, like a pie in the sky. Like, you know, I really think that our offensive line could do with, you know, an, an extra transfer to like, maybe there's a four star who's just not happy where he's at who transfer in. And every time when they say that I either uh, maintain uh, control of myself and don't jump down their throat or I lose control. And then I jump down their throat and I say, forget it, dude, it's not going to happen. Like four star offensive linemen who are actually good and playable do not get in the, the portal and are not coming to your school. But you know why? It's because Washington's hoarding all of them and none of them have transferred out. It's actually really, really remarkable. This is the backhanded part, like compliment part of this is oh. like, it's really what what a compliment I have to pay to the University of Washington Huskies that their offensive line guys have not transferred out. They have actually stuck with the program, even though they're not getting any playing time and probably won't get any playing time in 2022. What a, what high praise I have for these guys. They didn't transfer out um, uh, or high praise for the Washington program for keeping them from transferring out. Uh, um, I did get to see him in the spring game and they looked well. They looked how I would have expected them to look, which is you can see why they were four stars. They have the right frame for it. Um, But you can also tell that they've never played a real college game because when they were going up against defensive, um, you know, defensive line players who I just got done saying, you know, I thought that their defensive line looks pretty solid. um, They were getting beat. 
you know, in particular, the twos, you know, are really just getting creamed um, by the defensive line. Now, that is not unusual to see in a spring game. Like, don't, you know, please don't anybody infer from that that these guys are all busts. Um, that's not an appropriate thing to take away from that comment. Um, you know, defenses are usually ahead in the spring, if nothing else. Um, uh, but, you know, it's very clear that these guys, like, they're, they're, they're not like, we're not, um, uh, we're, we're, we're not talking about Panay Sewell, you know, a guy who shows up as a true freshman in fall camp. He wasn't a spring enrollee. Um, I think I'm going to have to check on that. Uh, but I, I, you know, and just like kicks everybody out of the room and becomes the starting left tackle. Like, yeah. I don't think, you know, I wasn't seeing a Panay Sewell among those guys. And I'm real again, I'm not really knocking them four star offensive linemen in the Pac-12 who actually have the frame for it. Like those are rare. And Washington should genuinely be happy that they have managed to keep all those guys in the fold, um, even though they've been there for like four or five years without playing. Um uh, you know, when they do play, I, I expect them to, you know, to be, you know, pretty decent. It's just that the, like, it's going to be like, they play one year and then go to the NFL or graduate, you know, that's how long they've been, you know, Washington has been cooking this grenade a long time and it might blow up in their hand. Like it's, uh, I hope that metaphor was not disturbing to too many people. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, uh, Except for the 4th of July, we're good. Yeah, right. I hope nobody <laughs> lost a finger uh, over the holiday. Um, uh, PTSD. Yeah, no, we're uh, whistled past that graveyard. Anyway, um, the, the like, you know, that, uh, like I said, this is kind of a backhanded compliment, but I think that their second string offensive linemen are, they, they were rated properly out of high school. Um, they when they finally take over, I think they will actually be good. Um, my concern is why aren't they taking over now? And are you going to only get like a year out of this guy? Um, you know, because you've been waiting so long like that. Well, you know. maybe they're relying on the academic prowess of the university of Washington mm. and graduating with that marketable degree. Yeah. Uh, they could all um, be working at Costco uh, next year. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's right. better than NIL for them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, at the rate that Washington's collecting, I mean that, that that was the great you know irony was that like you know Don James got drummed out of that program, or actually he quit in a huff um, because they weren't protecting him from from you know because there's they were paying players like Seattle was just like dumping tons of money on, on those guys and like as well they might like I'm a I'm in favor of players being paid their market value. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, you know, trying to throw shade at Washington. It's just sort of like, it is a commentary on, you know, the culture of that program and it's, um, and it's affiliates, uh, that they, you know, that they decided that we're going to be the squeaky clean, you know, or shit don't smell program. And so when NIL came along, like they were singularly poorly situated to deal with it. Um, you know, to the, to the point where their athletic director is sending out holier than thou tweets, you know, as opposed to doing what she ought to be doing, which is organizing some NIL collectives to, to get some serious cash in people's pockets, you know, yeah, uh, you know, regardless of what your stance is on the issue, like you can't, you know, there's no atheists in foxholes, you know, like there's, you know, you need to get with the program guys and, and, you know, copping this attitude, uh, is not doing them any favors. Um, 
and uh, uh, yeah, and it's just sort of and and to to be sure, NIL needs some uh, concrete guidelines and barriers and this and that um, hasn't been worked out. Yeah, uh, but still, it's even when that comes to fruition, NIL is still going to be something that you have to work with and deal with. And and well, I guess what I'm trying to do is connect some dots here. Like I'm not really trying to weigh in on the NIL issue or or what regulations need to be adopted or, or you know whatever. What I am you know trying to talk about is that like uh, you know as I started out talking about, there's a real cultural contrast between Oregon and Washington, um, which is a remarkable thing to say. You actually like a lot of the ways that Oregon and Washington fans fight. Like I really sort of just see siblings fighting, where it's like they're fighting because they're very similar, and you know like let's face it. Like Oregon and Washington, like uh, the states, you know, politically, culturally, you know, what things they're sensitive to, what things they don't care about. Like these are very similar states, and these are fairly similar fan bases. But well, uh, with with that said, I have to say I put my brother in the hospital a couple of times. All right, uh, <laughs> that's how we fought. Um, <laughs> I I meant on Twitter, which uh, for all the flaws of Twitter, people rarely come to fisticuffs over it. Um. My uh, my point is that that like for all the similarities that these two fan bases ought to have through choices that their coaches and athletic departments have made, they have at, at this point in history come to pretty different, you know, cultural values about um, uh, about what kind of talent that you acquire what you do in order to acquire that talent and when uh, guys are supposed to be playing. And I see those dots connected all the time. When I um, do any uh, project uh, reviewing Washington's roster, I see those cultural fingerprints all over the roster and the playing time. Um, I see it in terms of the, the talent in and the talent out um, for Washington uh, versus Oregon, where Oregon's uh, moving ahead and growing their average talent rating and Washington is falling behind and losing in their average talent rating. I see it in where playing time goes, where it's disproportionately for Washington going to uh, older and less talented players and not to the young hotshots. Um, and then that has knock-on effects that has, you know, there's a virtuous circle there. Like, why would you want to be a young hotshot at Washington if you know you're going to have to ride the bench for five years, whereas the program on the other side of the Columbia River will say, you know what, if you come and improve that you're the best available guy, that we will play you and you'll be playing in the Rose Bowl. Um, like, Yeah, and we're going to use you. Look yeah. at this player and this player and this player. Yeah, look at all these exactly two freshmen. That with. Yeah. Oh, Kayvon Thibodeau played as a true freshman and got drafted in the first round. Oh, you know, you don't say, um, et cetera, you know, whereas right. like, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find such a player, um, for, for Washington. They put a bunch of guys in the NFL, but it's, you know, it's not because those guys are super talented. It's because they sat on, you know, they, they developed those guys over like five years and like, good for them. I, you know, I'm not really taking shots at that culture, but I am saying I can see effects of that attitude in the way that they then turn around and acquire talent, um, or more to the point, the way that they have not been. Yeah, uh, the way that they can acquire talent, because it, it's as you say, if you're a, a hot shot, it, you look at that pattern and uh, got to say no. All right. I think it's going to do it for us this week. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, any parting words for us, Badwater? Nope. Just uh, 
go ducks and this has been one of my favorite summers in eugene in a long time because it's still barely pushing past back uh push pushing past 80 degrees and that's gonna end next week uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well i hope everybody enjoys it and is able to stay cool maybe has a refreshing outdoor beverage uh thanks a lot everybody we'll catch you on the flip side